Welcome to the Quantum Growth Podcast, empowering financial advisors to build practices for the 21st century by providing insights and interviews on leadership, strategy, and practice management. Now here is your host, Barron's Hall of Fame advisor, Jonathan Cutton. Welcome to another episode of Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors. Again, I've got my good friend, J-O-N, John Randall, uh, back, who's uh, you know, nice enough and kind enough to share some more of his wisdom. So, Johnny, maybe uh, say a little hello to the audience. Thanks, John, for having me on. I love doing these. I love sharing value. And we got some good stuff today to give away. Yep, absolutely. And, uh, you know, John uh, and I were talking a little bit probably a week or two ago about what would be a good, interesting topic uh, for our audience. And John gets to do a ton of public speaking and speaking at uh, elite growth forums and to groups of advisors that are, are you know looking to continue to really grow right from that kind of, you know, I'll call it solo practitioner lifestyle practice to that next level uh, of that ensemble practice. And, um, you know, the same type of questions group to group keep coming up. And, um, you know, from John's perspective, uh, you know, what he shared is that advisors know less about this uh, than we actually give them credit for. So we thought it would be a really good time, timely and interesting uh, podcast. So, you know, the theme is really advisor capacity and how to expand your client facing advisory team. Um, so, you know, with that, John, maybe you can just say a couple of words overall, and then we'll get into uh, a little Q&A here. Yeah, this has been a, a murky subject I've been finding, and I've been speaking at many different firms, many different groups, and there's you know, a lot of interest in this. Uh, there's a lot of questions on how to do it right, a lot. And um, so we just, I, I think it'd be great to dig in, provide a little bit more of, of clarity. And, and I like how you frame this, John. We, we look, all of us at one point were like every department in our practice, right? You did everything. And then you start, you know, hitting capacity or you see it coming, you start to get some help, you get some, you know, some administrative help to get you freer. Uh, and then you realize, oh my gosh, I have too many clients. There's no way I could do all this. I need another advisor in here to help service. And it goes from there, but it, I think that's where the murky water set in is, is, you know, how do you bring in this advisor? What do you compensate them? And how do you keep them? And, you know, when you need other advisors and teams, like, how do you really scale this? And that's the secret. And I think, you know, John Cotton, that's what you've figured out so masterfully. And that's why you've grown so much. You, you've cracked the code on this, but it, it's, it's definitely a mystery out there. So we're going to give some just clarity and, and talk about some of these, um, key aspects of this business that everyone should be thinking about. Yeah, super, uh, super excited to dive in. I think it's a, a great subject for everyone. And what's interesting, um, I don't know exactly what you're going to say to some of these questions, but I'm on the, I'm going to say the far side of complexity on some of this. Yes. Uh, and have actually had my own learnings, um, which I'm not even 100% sure um, that you and I have caught up on uh, yet, because I think I think um, you know there is two pieces to the process, right? One is beginning to expand right your capacity through other advisors, and then I think what I've now found is I've done that with now forty advisors, right? So I've got a lot of experience yeah. uh, in doing that, but I've also realized that there's you know a right and wrong 
kind of way to do that, particularly from how to drive the appropriate profit margin in the business. And I've made a bunch of mistakes that uh, we're actually beginning to kind of, uh, you know, right the ship, so to speak, as we speak nice. now. And hopefully I can, you know, we, we together can save some of our listeners the, uh, you know, the learning curve <laughs> that I, I uh, as I say, the pioneer gets all the arrows, so to speak. So, you know, John, maybe we could talk a little bit in your experience about kind of when, right? I'd say you've got, right, owner capacity, you've got advisor capacity, and then you've got kind of associate advisor capacity, right? And maybe you can just kind of walk us through what you mean when you, you know, kind of talk about it that way. Yeah, and, and along the way, we can use some industry data in, in some growth kind of glass ceilings I see from a production standpoint that advisors hit. Um, There's a, a Moss Adams study. They, they did a lot of wonderful research on our industry. Um, they did a study a while back, and they found that the typical advisor capacity was about 250 clients. So everyone listening, look in the mirror, ask yourself how many clients you're working with. I, when you peel back that study, though, a lot of it was, you know, a small practice with 250 clients. So they're not 250 active clients that are getting, you know, regular, meaningful contacts, regular meetings, which requires a lot of work. You know, people are doing real financial planning, having a real, you know, service model and talking to their advisor regularly. It's pretty hard to pull that off. And you just look at, you know, the math of how many appointments can an advisor handle in a week. And you crunch some of the numbers. I mean, it quickly, you kind of get down to, well, it's probably more like 200 fully active clients that are getting at least quarterly meetings kind of quickly becomes like a typical advisor's uh, capacity out there. So remember, we're talking about fully engaged client. We're talking about like a half million plus client that, that's fully engaged. And you crunch the numbers on this. I mean, if someone had, let's say, 200 clients, they have five, 600,000 on average, that client probably produces around 5,000 in revenue. You do those quick math, it, it's a million in production. I find a million to 1.5 million, somewhere in that range, is a lot of advisors' individual capacity sound barrier. It's really hard to go beyond that. I've, I mean, there's some outliers that are able to do it, but it's pretty rare. And it really just comes back to the number of clients, you know, that, that's it. So if you're saddled with a lot of small people, it's going to hold you back from getting over those hurdles. And it really is about getting freer. You know, we see a lot of owners try and get down to 100 clients or less because you just look at the amount of time it takes to service top people. And if you're going to be entrepreneurial and lead other people in your team, you know, go after more advisors to join your team, go after acquisitions. It takes a lot of time. It takes a whole lot of time to do it. So uh, we, we see, you know, that advisor capacity is kind of 200 of real clients is ideal. You know, smaller clients is a different game, but we're talking about really actively engaged clients, which is who you should be working with. It's about 200. We're seeing a lot of owners saying, I got to pare down to the top tier, which produces most of the revenue, get down to 100, go deep with them and leverage somebody else to do the rest. And look, you, 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 you. You project this 200 clients, 5,000 in revenue with associate advisors on your team. You know, how many advisors could you have on your team who are producing a million in production? 
right? Is it 40 like John Cutton? Is it, is it two? But that's, that's a, some, some solid numbers to be thinking about for you. How can you get advisors on your team to run a million in production for your business around 200, you know, decent average clients? You're moving up market, working with the best, be more profitable. Just, you know, think about those numbers for yourself. I find most people listening probably have way too many clients, which is their number one growth problem that holds them back. Yeah, completely agree, John. Well said. Um, you know, the, the thing as you're speaking that I think about is, you know, for an advisor listening in, you know, sometimes you can't put the cart before the horse, meaning it's one thing to say, I'd like to resegment my business, right? Bring on a junior advisor, assign, you know, as the senior advisor, or the owner, as you say, only have 100 clients or less, right, to have more time for leadership and working on growing the business, more CEO stuff, which, as you know, I'm a you know, huge advocate of. Um, now, the key is, if you have 300 clients in your practice, and you're going to keep 100, right, what are those other 200 clients? And that's kind of, you know, part of what my learning is a little bit, is if those 200 clients represent four or 500,000 of revenue. And, and I'd, I'd like to get your opinion on this, put you on the spot a little bit, but if those clients represent four or 500,000 in revenue, and then you aren't growing organically in a very meaningful way, it kind of becomes the what comes first, the chicken or the egg, right? Because the reason you might not be growing organically is because you are so busy being busy serving 300 yes. clients. Yes. But somehow you were pretty good at bringing clients in once upon a time, which is how you brought in the 300 clients, right? Right. So right. I think that, like, just to like to pinpoint it with a little bit of a laser focus, I think advisors get to a point where they're doing, you know, a million and a half, two million or more, working their tails off. They've got junior folks that might be assistants might be associate advisors, but regardless of the title, they're really being treated like an assistant. They're not serving a real book of business on their own. And I think the key becomes, John, you ultimately have to take a plunge. And I like your opinion on it and go, okay. And I want everyone to hear my words. You're going to sacrifice profit margin. Yes. By short term bringing another advisor on board, paying he or she the commensurate compensation that goes along with being an advisor, right? But they still won't have a book of business themselves at maturity. And then from that point forward, if you aren't able as the CEO to then grow the business organically, right? Inorganic works, but there's a cost associated with growing inorganically. But if you can't then yourself make rain or have your new associate junior advisor make rain, then what you've actually done is you've made your life easier, which is okay, but you've likely reduced your profit margin. Yes. Unless you can execute on the other side. And my opinion in talking to lots of advisors, and I'd like your opinion, is at some point, this is where advisors get stuck and they simply go, yes it doesn't make sense because the economics don't make sense and they're not willing to take one step backwards to take two or three forward and really make a big bet on themselves. 
Yeah, this is, I think that the, the beliefs and mindset around this really would hold people back. And, and look, this, this early phase of the business, this, um, you know, solo kind of phase where you're building up, there, there could be a very high profit margin. I mean, this is a wonderful business. Uh, there's a lot of revenue. There can be a very high profit margin, but you're right to, to go to that next phase. It's going to be a, a slightly less percentage, but here's what everyone listening needs to think about is that your pie, you know, your larger percentage of your pie is going to be limited. The size it can get to will have a glass ceiling because, you know, you can't be everything to everyone. And yes, taking a smaller percentage of a much bigger and growing pie, you can grow that into a larger net profit number. But you're right, there is that investment point, which is really scary for a lot of people. That's that, you know, chicken or egg concept that John's talking about is really it. Now, a lot of times what, what um, myself and my coaching team will help people with is look at, well, if you could get freer, how much more could we be doing with the top clients? Could we generate some more revenue there because we haven't gone as deep? Can that make up for what you're paying and investing in this other person? You know, most of the, you know, if, if, if you're an owner here, you're probably the rainmaker. And a lot of times that the organic growth shuts down is you just get too busy. You got 300, 350 clients and you just, you just can't do a great job for clients. You don't get referrals. Just by getting free or doing a great job referrals, you can get back to the rainmaking, which is the most profitable thing you can do. There's no cost when you get a referral and they come in. It's wonderful. So you can make up that investment many, many times over. And that's more of the mindset people need to have and see that, yes, that one step backwards that you said, John, you can get two to three steps forward really quickly by doing more with clients and bringing in new clients at the top of your book. It can happen, but it's got to be that stage of letting go, not holding back the team member from talking to clients or becoming clients. That really, that thinking right there is probably the difference in someone who gets stuck and someone who breaks through this glass ceiling and starts to do multiple millions in production. Agreed. And um, I, I'm I, for whatever reason, Johnny, I'm in dub, uh, devil's advocate mode today. So I'm going, <laughs> I'm going with devil advocates mode, right? Um, because I, I, I think um, I, I think that advisors are. Um, also today probably a little concerned right with the headwinds of the market sure of right? course so of course. so you think about it and this is something you know to be super real and transparent i'm thinking about how we run our own business right now and we're going through a resegmentation process in our book of business and i've come to the conclusion that you know in, in essence a, a client of cut and wealth management needs to be a client that can afford our premium level service, right? Mm -hmm. We've built Great. another division, right? And kind of segmented the business to serve those that aren't able to get that premium level of service. I won't go into a lot of detail there. Um, so I, you know, I believe everyone deserves great financial advice, um, but not everybody needs the Ritz-Carlton, right? Some folks need, need and enjoy the Marriott. Um, but you think about, I, I think about what I've been able to do over the last decade, really, right, or a little, little over a decade of getting myself out of doing the client work, right, um, and then ultimately get myself to be truly CEO with zero clients, not 100, yeah. but zero clients, 
And when I took the risk to do that, there was a downturn in the business. And you know, this is something, John, that I think is important for us to hit. Every time we replace ourselves out of a role, usually the result of whomever is our new who or who we delegated it to is going to be a little bit worse than yours. Hopefully not yes. a lot, right? Yeah. But, a, but a little bit worse because your junior didn't have all the experience and and grit and acumen that you might have, right? So, the, you know, I, I guess the point that I'm trying to call out is I do believe for the right advisor, CEO mentality, transitioning clients to a next gen advisor makes a ton of sense as long as that CEO is actually committed to grow the business and has a plan and has the ability to do that. If he or she doesn't, if you couple headwinds of the market, let's face it, if you're not organically growing, your revenue is going to be down 12 or 15% year over year based on where the markets are today. If you are growing organically or inorganically, maybe not, but your everyone's margins are getting hit. We haven't dealt with that for a decade, really. Right? Yeah. So I, I look back a little and I go, man, for the last decade, I was good, I had a good plan, but I also had a little help, right, of the market yes. allowing the, the, the revenue decrease to kind of be taken care of by an appreciating market. And who knows where the markets will go, but they're certainly not moving higher at the moment. Um, and anyway, I'll, I'll kind of pause there, but I think you get where I'm getting at. I love your input because I do think that there are coaches out there, you're clearly not one of them, but that are just going, oh yeah, you gotta go go do what this big guy or this big team is doing, right? And everyone needs a junior advisor and here's how you do it and et cetera, et cetera. And then the advisor finds themselves going, what the heck did I do here? I gave yeah. up all my good clients. The experience they're getting now isn't quite as good as the experience I was giving them. And my net flows, I have no desire to grow them or, or you know, ability to do it right now. And now what they've done is they shrunk margin, they've gotten more time, but they find themselves now in a leadership role, leading another person, which may or may not be what they love to actually do. Absolutely. So, so there, there's, there's a couple of, of, you know, solutions here, but if, if you're the type of advisor that's going to work with the top ones and you're leveraging somebody else to work with, you know, medium and, and smaller clients, yes, they're, they're not going to be as good. So if you're taking that mode and, and, you know, a medium or smaller clients leaves, I mean, the impact of the firm is, is really minimal. I mean, if you think about segmentation, most of the revenue comes from the top tier clients, which everyone listening is probably the point that you should still personally be involved with those people and driving revenue and making sure they're getting maximum value from you. So a, a lot of times in that, you know, if it's a singular, like each advisor is going to work with their own set of clients, you know, it is a way where, I mean, if some smaller people leave, not that big of a deal. However, there are some other models and things that you could consider to influence people still staying around. So, um, John, we've talked, I, I think a couple of times we've mentioned this Diamond Teams model by Angie Herbers. You know, I, I find that being a way, it, it kind of helps advisors that, you know, another self-limited belief in this is um, uh, 
I've been working with these clients for 15 years, 20 years, you know, it'd be really hard to transition them. Uh, a, a, just another way to think about this, instead of singular advisor client relationships, it could be you are still involved with clients, but another advisor gets involved. So your top clients, you're still handling most of the interactions. Maybe with those medium clients, you make an appearance once or twice a year. The other you know, junior advisor is handling the other interactions. It's a way you can still influence quality, but it helps from a capacity standpoint. So if you've got another advisor helping to take some client interactions off your plate, they're still getting a lot of contact. It can be a way to help overcome the capacity issue, but still influence the control. And, and you're right. There's a lot of dynamics of, you know, leading somebody else. And is, is someone good at that? Do they need to outsource that? There, there's a lot of issues there. But I mean, if it's a singular thing and smaller clients are leaving, it's probably not that big of an impact to your firm. But you could consider these alternatives like a diamond team model and really have one or two other advisors or even a full diamond that are all interacting with the client. It helps your capacity standpoint, but it keeps the quality high. You can still handle the big, more advanced topics, bring lots of value and have other people help along the way. It's just any way you can to help your capacity, you can maintain quality and help clients give value. There's lots of different ways to do it. Each practice is unique. You know, as you pointed out, John, it really is. I mean, these are just some examples we're talking about, but the thinking and the concepts is really what you should be taking away in this is you've got to find a capacity solution one way or the other. Yep. Yeah, no, completely agree. Um, you know, I, and I'm a big advocate of, as you as you know, of of the Diamond Team uh, model as well. So, can you just give a little bit more of an overview, right, for for our listeners? I think we might have talked about this in one of the previous podcasts, but I know that's something that you talk with advisors about a lot and help them kind of execute on. So, you know, kind of maybe you could you know just give an explanation of what that looks like when someone implements it. Yeah, so if, so we're in America. If if we could think about a baseball or a softball diamond, and uh, and think about bases. Uh, if anyone listening isn't sure what that is, just just look it up quick. But uh, in a baseball diamond, uh, you've got second base at the top, you've got home base at the bottom, you got third base on the left, and first base on the right. So at the top, you're probably at the top. It, it, listening here, the lead advisor is is who that is. It's the most seasoned person, so it's probably you. For a lot of you listening, um, you might have a large enough practice where maybe a star advisor in your team is that second base advisor. So they're usually the one with the capacity issues. They have the most experience, and they're the ones that need to get freer. Your third base advisor is probably the most uh, um, seasoned besides you who's been around a while, they can handle client interactions without you. And so first base is probably a newer advisor. There may be an up and comer on your team. Um, they can handle an interaction with clients, but probably something easier, a simpler topic. And then home base is a like a client service associate. So all these people are surrounding the client. And the client service associate, they're servicing the whole diamond team, you know, from a support standpoint, but they could talk to the client and handle some easy things like maybe picking up some data, updating something, checking a beneficiary, something like that. So everyone's surrounding the client. 
you've kind of got it organized, you know, based on kind of, you know, veteranship, seniority, or by experience, if you will, you know, ideally, you're moving people up the diamond teams, you're moving your, you know, home base, if they aspire to be an advisor, they move to first base. And look, first base, they're still doing some support work, right? They're doing some applications or financial plans, and they're doing, doing some grunt work in there. Hopefully, the first base ascends to be a third base advisor, a veteran that they can just totally be autonomous with clients and help with the topics they specialize in. And then the lead advisor at the tops, the most veteran, you know, they probably have the most capacity issue. They're getting freer because all the other three are in, interacting with clients. You know, there's a leadership aspect too. You know, first base, third base could help be leading others in the diamond team. It's a pretty profitable model too. You know, you're not saddled with so many support people like we were in the old days to run this business. Um, it's a lot less support in this kind of model. So, so that's really how the, the diamond team structure is. There's, there's a lot more info. I've got some visuals out there. Andrew Herbers is a great white paper if you want to go deeper, but from a high level, that, that's kind of how uh, they're typically structured. Super helpful. And, um, and what do you usually find, John? Like if you've got a full diamond, as you call it, someone at right home first, second and third, is that a business that can run 200 clients, 500 clients, 600 clients, you know, a uh, million in revenue, 5 million in revenue? What, what do you find? And again, obviously, if all the clients have $10 million, it depends on the type of clients yeah. that you work with. But yeah. to your point, with an average client of, say, you know, $500,000 to a million dollars, that kind of thing. Yeah, we're actually finding about 500 clients can be run in a diamond team because all of these people are all interacting with the clients and creating a great experience. And you look at that times that average client, it's about 2.5 million this diamond team can run. So, you know, if you're building to that level and you're, you know, you might not be there today, but you could build pieces of the diamond team and have just, you know, one other person on, on, on the diamond and have kind of a, you know, uh, a portion of it and build into maybe three pieces of diamond, eventually four, you can really build into it and be as profitable as possible. But if you could get up to that point that, a, you know, either you're running a diamond team of 2.5 million revenue, that kind of structure, or you have a team like this within your practice or multiple teams within your practice. So it's just some, you know, easy numbers, easy metrics to, to live by. Yeah. Super well said, John. You know, um, I think this was super uh, impactful and helpful. And you know what I'm thinking? Um, I think we should make this two-part series. I think maybe what we can do, it'll probably be a short one, um, but maybe I'll have you back on uh, as a follow-up because one of the things that I wanted to kind of talk about, and I think we'll run a little short on time uh, today, is to kind of talk through how compensation works for junior advisors. Mm. I think that's the other question. Uh, that we get a ton. So absolutely. Um, is that all right with you? Let, let, let's, uh, let's have you back on and we'll, we'll make it a two parter. Yeah, it's a, it's a deep one. I mean, just thinking, you know, the mindset around this, the structure around this is certainly, you know, a big one to think about. And it, and it unlocks all these questions. It's exactly the questions we get. It's exactly the things we help advisors with day to day that, well, how do I go about this? How do I, who's, do I find for these seats? How do I develop them? How the heck do I compensate them? It's a huge, huge question. It's like a giant mystery. So awesome stuff. Awesome. Well, hey, John, as always, thank you for being a guest. Um, I'm not even going to ask you where to find you anymore, because at this point, if our followers and listeners don't know where to find you, we'll put it in the show notes. But uh, you've been on enough already. 
uh, that they should know where to find you. And again, it's John Randall at Dynamic Directions. Uh, for those of you who uh, who don't know, but we'll we'll make sure we put it on the show notes. So, hey, thanks again uh, for doing this today, John. Valuable information. Uh, and to our listeners, thanks again for tuning in for another episode of Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors. If you yourself or anyone you know could be a good, interesting guest on our show, uh, shoot us a note and uh, we'd be happy to talk and see if they'd be an interesting guest. So make it a great day. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find the episode show notes and subscribe for updates by visiting cuttonconsultinggroup.com forward slash podcast. Make sure to subscribe and download the episodes on your favorite podcast app, and we'll see you next week.